All right, so we start a new series um, this week called Follow Me, and it'll be about three to four part series, and I'm really excited to do this because uh, we're going to essentially look at the points where Jesus is telling people um, to follow him and what that looks like. But before we even kind of dive into that part, we need to figure out, are we called? Are you called? Have you been called into the light? Have you been called to follow Jesus? In the Bible, we see Jesus in the Gospels at the beginning call his disciples, call the people 12 disciples that would be the church today. And on those 12 disciples, we have this church, Seven Rivers. Jesus called them, though. And the question that I want to ask you guys is, has Jesus called you? Have you been called? But in order to get to that question, I want to first ask this question, which is, are you hungry? Yes. Yes. Okay, some are hungry. Some of you aren't. And the reason why I want to ask this question is, is because I think that this question is a great place to start in order to figure out if you are called. And so when I ask you, are you hungry? Maybe you're not hungry right now, but have you ever been hungry? Like, have you ever been like really, really, really hungry, like to the point where you're actually angry? And people use this word called hangry, like so hungry that people are scared to be around you because you look like you would almost like bite into their own skin and eat their flesh, like that kind of hungry. I get this way when I'm at Disney World a lot of times. Um, for whatever reason, Disney World makes me really hungry. And like, I literally want to eat every single thing. And then I go up, wait in line, and it's like $20 for a popsicle. Um, I'm like, what the heck? Well, I want to show you a picture of a face of someone who is very, very hungry. It would be under the, oh, there. But right here is my son, Trip. This is his I'm hungry face. Um, it's actually terrifying. Um, I'm somewhat scared when I, he makes that face. I'm, I'm deeply concerned. Um, <laughs> For him, And this is, I mean, if you look closely, you can actually see a little tear drop forming in his eye, on his right eye, or his left eye. But right there, you see at the bottom, a little tear drop. You can see that he has like four lip wrinkles because he's so upset. Um, his face is burning red in rage. And I really wonder if what's going through his mind right now when I look at this picture is, is he considering whether he should just give up now? on life. He's that hungry. Like it's going through his brain. Like, is this even worth it? Is it even worth to be alive? He feels this bad. And he screams too, when he makes his face, it's, it's absolutely insane. And so tonight I'm asking you, are you hungry? But not about physical hunger. Like I'm hungry for Taco Bell right now. Um, not that kind of hunger, not one where your tummy hurts where it aches for food, but one of your heart, of your soul. In the inside, it aches for food. Are you hungry to the point where your heart hurts, where your soul hurts? A hunger of the heart, a hunger of the soul. I want us tonight to talk about the emptiness of this world, the emptiness that you and I often feel. And you and I, we live in a world that calls us to live for ourselves. We live in a world that calls us to chase our dreams, that calls us to chase our hopes and our desires. We live in a world that says, above all else, follow your heart and its desires. Feast on food that your heart wants. But the thing about this food, it never fills us up. It never does. 
If anything, this food that our heart often desires leaves us more and more hungry. We feed on likes. We feed on views. We feed on followers on social media platforms only to be left wanting more and more. We feed on friendships, girlfriends and boyfriends. We use them to try to fill our hearts and souls up only to be left wanting more and more. We feed on video games, drugs, alcohol, sex, achievements, pornography, awards, good things. We feed on good things. We overeat on good things only to be reaching the highest achievements and be left wondering, is this it? You think of Tom Brady. In 2005, he um, had, at this point, I think won three Super Bowls, um, won an MVP early in his career. He had been dominant. And in a 60-minute interview with Steve Croft, despite the fame and career accomplishment he had achieved already, Brady told Croft these words. This is what he says. Listen to this. This guy is, is considered the greatest quarterback of all time. He says this, why do I have three Super Bowl rings and still think there's something greater out there for me? I mean, maybe a lot of people would say, hey man, this is what it's all about. I reached my goal, my dream, my life, me. I think it's got to be more than this. I mean, this isn't, this can't be all it's cracked up to be. This can't be it. You and I are hungry. And you and I can never seem to fill up. Oftentimes we'll look in the mirror after a workout and touch our body parts and long to look different in those places. We get a boyfriend and girlfriend and we love it at first, but after a few months, we begin to hate them for whatever reason. And we begin to feel lonely again. We study hard, we get good grades and win awards only to feel like we're still not enough to our parents to our friends, to our teachers, to our coaches. We get so hungry that we try to drown it away. And how do we drown it away? With distractions. We drown it away with parties, smoking, beer, liquor, video games, Netflix, pornography, just hoping that these things for a few hours will help us forget that we are so hungry. These are just a few examples of how we drown our hunger to distract us from our emptiness, only to wake up the next day feeling more empty and more trashy and more needy, only to be left the next day feeling hungrier than you were the day before. And to the Christian in the room, maybe you pray every night to God. Every single night you pray to him. And maybe you go to church every single week, and maybe you go to youth group every single week, and you love Jesus, but even for you right now, you struggle. You have doubts, you have fears, you have questions, and you find yourself wanting more wondering where is Jesus in this world, wondering where is Jesus in my life, and is he even real? If you're anything like me, I grew up as a Christian. I, I haven't, as a little kid, I've always known about Jesus, but something that I struggled with, a very hard thing that I struggled with was I always wondered if I was really saved. I was very scared of going to hell. I think actually going to hell motivated me to do more good things um, which is not necessarily bad, but it's all for the wrong reasons. I was so scared of going to hell that like, I would often uh, 
do the, when we would do like altar calls or say, you know, if you want to believe in Jesus for the first time, I'm like, oh, me, me, I really want to make sure I'm saved, okay, and I'm be standing up, and everyone's like, I've seen that kid like stand up seven times already, <laughs> like, you're saved, dude, like, you know, Jesus loves you. Well, I struggled with it. I had a deep problem with it. And I want you to know, my hunger and your hunger, Christian or non-Christian in this room, it's rooted in our sin. It's rooted in our rebellion. Our sin leaves us empty. The reason why I struggled believing whether or not Jesus loved me was because I sinned often, every day. And every time I sinned, I just felt like it was another um, condemnation on me, another judgment, another case against me. This is Mikey Puckett. This is why he should not go to heaven. This is why he should not be loved. It left me hungry because I wasn't really believing the truth. I was struggling because sin was in, in part of my life. So the question, no matter where you are in life, that I'm asking you is, are you hungry for something? Do you feel emptiness? And I want you to follow along with me. And this is going to be a little bit difficult because I'm going to talk about things that maybe you haven't heard before, but it's, it's from the Bible, it's from God's word, and I'm going to try to explain them to you, and you need to you just hang with me, okay? Because I know that this is God's word, and it is the food that will last for you and the truth. So this is the most important part. You can forget everything I just said. Here is the most important part for you. If you want things that are eternal, then here it is. So in Exodus 16, God's people, God had selected a group of people that he chose and he said, you're going to become a great nation and I'm going to bless you guys and give you a bunch of gifts. And then what I want you to do with those gifts is I want you to share them with all the nations around you so that everyone knows my name. And so God invites these people to take part in his mission, invites them to do the work with him. You know, think of a father and son when they do work together. Or I remember when my dad and I built a um, ramp for my bicycle. It was awesome. He, my dad invited me to work with him. This is what God does with his people, with the, and they're called the Israelites. And so he invites them to do the work with him. Well, the Israelites run into an issue. It's called the Egyptians. The Egyptians are the greatest nation in the known world at the time. And they take over the Israelites and they enslave them for 400 years. That's longer than the United States of America has exist, existed. They enslaved them for 400 years. And that's grandmas and grandpas and kids and fathers and sons and daughters. It's a bunch of people, a bunch of generations that would be born into slavery, be raised in slavery, hope that one day they would be set free, but never set free and died in slavery. But they had this story that God would save them and would redeem them. And they trusted it and followed it, even though many of them, many of them never saw it happen. But then God freed them and set them free and brought them out of slavery. God defeats the greatest nation. And the Israelites didn't even have to go to war. God did it on his own. And so as they are leaving Egypt and they're wandering through the wilderness, going to the land that God has already set up and he's already going before them, defeating other enemies for them to inherit this land, as this is happening, they become hungry, physically hungry. They become so physically hungry and so 
hangry that they yell at Moses, they yell at God, they all are making this face, that face, okay, and they're screaming at the Lord saying, just send us back to Egypt. Let us go back to our slave owners because at least there we could eat food. At least there they gave us food to eat. And so they complain and they whine and cry out to God. And you know what God says to this, to that kind of hangry? It's so little. It seems so small. It is childish, actually. It is. And we can be so childish. He says, come to me. Come near. And I will give you food. And every morning, while they were in the wilderness, they would wake up. And like the dew on the grass, there would be these white wafers, little flakes. It looked like snow, people have said, kind of snowflakes on the grass. And they went down, they're like, what is this? They picked it up and it was edible and it was like bread. And every morning, without fail, while they were in the wilderness, God gave them bread to eat and it was called manna. All right, you're following me here. You're with me. But he only gave them enough for the day. If they were to collect a bunch of it, save it, it would rot and be um, sour the next day. But sure enough, the next day there would be more manna for them. And so God provided them everything that they needed. Each and every day that they needed. The reason why I tell you this story is because Jesus talks about it, okay, in John chapter 6. And I want to read you what Jesus says, and I need you to follow these words closely. I need you to listen. So I'm asking you, are you hungry? Maybe you're sitting here saying, yes, I am hungry in my soul. I am wanting. I have emptiness. I want this to be filled. I want there to be a solution. Well, the next question is, are you listening? Listen to these words. Listen to these words. This is what Jesus says. He says, our fathers, the Israelites, ate the manna in the wilderness. And this is 1,500 years later. He's talking about this. In the wilderness. And he gave them bread from heaven to eat, our father. And then Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it wasn't Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but it was my father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven. The bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, sir, give us this bread always. And Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. And whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet you don't believe. All that my dad gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but to do the will of my Father. And this is the will of my Father who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that has been given to me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is my Father's will, that everyone who looks on the Son, on me, and believes in me, will have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. But no one can come to me unless my dad, who sent me, draws you. And I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they will be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except he is from God, 
he has seen the Father. But truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, but they died. Your ancestors ate the bread and the manna, and they died. This is the bread, me, that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and never die. I am the living bread that comes down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Very interesting words. Kind of uncomfortable words talking about eating another human being and eating their flesh. What is he saying? He's using um, liter literature. He's using ancient literature using metaphors and images from ancient literature to resonate with your heart. You've got to know the story of the Israelites in the desert and the wilderness, hungry. They were hungry. You've got to know the story of them crying out to God to provide for them bread or else they will die. And God doing so in order to understand that that bread that God was giving in the desert and the wilderness 1,500 years ago was an image and an echo of Jesus who would be given for you and I so that if we are in him, then we live. Are you hungry in the heart? Jesus is bread for the heart. Jesus is bread for the soul. Your soul needs to eat in order to live. Are you listening? Are you hungry? Are you listening? Do you hear what Jesus is saying? You see, when you look at this picture, when Tripp makes that face and grumbles and complains about his need for food, Emily and I hear him. We definitely hear him. And most of our neighbors hear him. And then we call him to come near to us. We say, Tripp, come here. We have food for you. And then as he comes near, we pick him up, we place him in his chair, and then we cook food for him. And it's just enough food for that moment, for that meal. And it's just enough food for the day. And then we do it all over again every single day. And he does that same face all over again every single day. But the same dance happens. The same dance happens. You see, the Israelites do the same dance with God, their father. And he gives them manna each day. And Jesus, he takes this idea and he builds on it. He takes the physical reality of hunger and eating and parallels it to spiritual reality of hunger of the soul and heart and how our soul and heart need spiritual food every day, every night, every day, every moment. You need to be fed in the soul. Jesus says that he is this food to eat. Jesus says that he is given up by God like manna to be consumed, to be eaten in order to nourish you, in order for you to come to life. And Tripp will eat food every single day, but he will die. You will eat food every single day, but you will die. The Israelites ate manna every single day and they died, but those who eat Jesus will never die. Jesus is saying that he's the bread of life of eternal life, of your soul. Your body's going to fail. 
your body's going to fail. Your soul will last forever. Is it alive? Or is it dead? He's saying that if you come to him, that if you believe in him, you will never be hungry, thirsty, or empty again. No more hunger in the heart. No more hunger in the soul. I want you to know something. This has nothing to do with you. This kind of work he does. In verse 44 of John 6, Jesus says, No one can come to me on their own, on their own power and will. No one can be good enough to come to me unless my dad, who sent me, brings him near. What Jesus is saying here is that in order for you to come and eat and live forever, in order for your hunger to be satisfied, you must be called. You must be drawn in by God. God must draw you to himself. You are spiritually dead. Dead people can't talk. Dead people can't walk. What needs to happen in you is for you to come back to life. And in order for that to happen, someone outside of you must give you life. You cannot save yourself. You need someone to save you. So are you listening? Are you hungry? And if you are hungry tonight, and if you are listening, a miracle is happening right now. Dead souls are coming to life, not because of my words, but because of the words spoken by Jesus. Because he spoke these words, you can hear and understand. If you're anything like me, I always want to know, how do I know if I'm saved? How do I know if I'm really saved? Because, you know, I'm saved today, but then tomorrow I struggle. Tomorrow I drink. Tomorrow I get drunk. Tomorrow I sleep with my girlfriend. Tomorrow I sleep with my boyfriend. Tomorrow I mess up. I make big mistakes. Tomorrow I cheat on my test. Tomorrow I fail. And in that sin, is it possible, if that is the moment, in those sins, in those mistakes, that I wonder to myself, I wonder, and I doubt, and I'm confused, because I'm scared that maybe Jesus doesn't love me. It hasn't had anything to do with Jesus, though. It has everything to do with the sin. Sin distorts the truth. So I want to give you assurance tonight. Are you called is the question. I want to say something. If you're hungry tonight, and if I asked you if you're hungry and a hunger in the soul, and you said, yes, well, something is alive in you, my friend. Because you can't know if you're hungry unless, unless you know what it feels like to be full. You can't know that you're hungry unless you know you're missing something. In, in order to know if you're missing something, you've got to be alive. Something has to be stirring in you, and there has to be something inside of you that is being born to life. So if you're hungry, and you're like, I have a hunger in my soul, you are being called. The Lord is speaking to you right now. 
You know that things are not the way they're supposed to be. You know that you should be full, but you're not. That's why you hurt. That's why you hunger. You're like, this cannot be the way it is. This cannot be it. You're like, Tom Brady, this can't be it. You get it. You understand that something's missing because you have something inside of you that's being drawn to life. It's the Lord calling you home. It's the Lord calling you out. So you're very close to the Lord if you are hungry here of the heart, if you hunger of the heart. Second, though, if you're here tonight, and when I ask you, are you listening, did your ears perk? If I ask you, are you hungry, you said, yes, I'm hungry. And then I said, are you listening? Because here's the words that will bring you life. Did your ears perk? Did you engage more? Did you think like, oh my goodness, here comes what I need to understand how to find wholeness and fullness. If you hear the words that are spoken in John chapter 6, and if you go home and you read them tonight, if you read those words and you actually hear them, you are saved by Jesus. That's what he says. Jesus says, I rescue you. I save you. And he says, he says this too. He says in verse, um, I forget what verse it is, but it's right here in John 6. And they will all be taught by God. And everyone who's heard, and everyone who's heard, you in this room, if you've heard tonight and learned from the dad, then you have come to me. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father has come to Jesus. If you have listened tonight, if you have learned, then Jesus is your Savior. Then you can with confidence come to God. You can with confidence know that your soul has been risen from the dead, like Jesus Christ was risen from the dead on the third day in his physical body, and you can come to the Lord, and you can say, I am sorry, and confess your sins. And you can know 100% that no matter what you make of your life, that you are called by God, and you are his forever, and ever, and ever, and ever. You can get married and have a divorce. You can cheat on your wife or your husband. You could, you could struggle with your sexual identity. You could struggle with your faith. You could wonder if you're saved or not. You can fall short of God's glory over and over and over and over again. You can make a complete wreck of your life, so much of a wreck of your life that you're 90 years old and you're dying alone on your deathbed. But Jesus still loves you because there's nothing that can separate you from him. In John 6, he says, All that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never, ever cast out. You as a sinner, you as a broken person, you as someone who's fallen short of God's glory, you as someone who is hungry and needy, you will never be cast out, no matter what you do. Jesus says, I came for the broken. I came for the sinners, not for the perfect. So if you're hungry in this room, if you're a sinner in this room, if you've made a lot of mistakes like me, and you're going to make a lot of mistakes in the future like me, then Jesus is your God. Jesus is the bread of your life. We live in a world that calls us to chase our dreams, that calls us to chase our hopes and desires. We live in a world that tells us to follow our hearts. And as we do this, we feast on food that will never fill us up. But rather, it leaves us more and more hungry. Jesus calls you to follow him. 
He says, follow me and you will have life and you will never hunger again. Come to me, all who are thirsty. Come to me, all who are hungry. And yes, it will be hard. And yes, it will be difficult. And yes, it will be full of suffering just like life always is. But you will be complete and you will be full and you will never hunger again. What does it look like then if you're called? And some of you in this room have been called to follow Jesus. What does it look like for your life to be changed and transformed by the good news that Jesus died? That Jesus became sin? That Jesus became hungry, separated from God, hunger for his Father, hunger for things to be made right? Jesus became broken so that you and I can be full and complete. So that the fatherless could have a father. So that the hungry could have food to eat. So that the poor, needy, and meek, and the weak could have hope it's through Jesus and his grace do you want to follow him do you want to go where he has gone do you want to go with him I want to tell you what it looks like maybe some of you are wondering this it looks like a cross but through that cross is eternal life and we'll talk more on this next week let me pray